0: All right, so usually I have a little preamble, a little intro, but this time I just want to get right into it. Okay, for the uniform. Holy shit! It's The return of Michael Eddington. Wow, I didn't expect this. What did you expect?
1: No, no, I, I, I actually did. I, I, I I'm under, I'm, I'm underplaying my reaction because these were two really holy shit episodes. Yeah, um, they were. <laughs> you've been telling me, you know, shit's coming down, shit's coming down, and you know now, now it's really happening. Um. I knew you know Eddington was something that somebody that I have forgot about, like it wasn't you know, obviously I knew you know they're, they're going to pick that story up again. Sure. um you know it, it, it's solely on a there are so many balls in the air in this in this series that um you know, he, he's been something that they, they, they've been coyly distracting us away from remember thinking about the Maquis. Um so it was a nice surprise to I'm I'm surprised that it was kind of resolved and he was captured in one episode and it would have been nicer if they had you know they they certainly could have thrown in lines of dialogue here and there or oh, we're still looking in the badlands for Ed kind of a thing but uh
0: which I which I think is an interesting reaction on your part only because you know I I kind of had similar thoughts and yeah We've talked about this before, but that really is one of the ways in which Deep Space Nine is at a crossroads in television storytelling yeah. because that's what you would do now. And I mean, like, but,
1: especially no, you know, it, it's not like they were setting anything; they would need to set anything up or anything like that. I mean, everybody knows that it is still out there, and that Cisco really wants to find him, so they can, you know, throw away a line here or there without you know worrying about planning for the future.
0: But the show, the show doesn't do that. Really. Yeah, and that's I think you know not that it's a problem. Like I don't think that there's a there's a certain degree to which you just have to kind of go yeah. with the way Deep Space Nine is telling its story, and obviously it is you know sort of stretching the the limits or the expectations of what a Star Trek television show uh, can do, at least in, in a storytelling or plot fashion. But it is still, for the most part, a series which, while it does have ongoing storylines, while characters grow and change, while we have recurring uh, uh, characters that come in and out of the show, when they're not on the show, the show doesn't talk about them.
1: Although, and we've said this is a difference between TNG and DS9, the show does know what it's going to do with them. Or, at least where they are at that moment,
0: I think so, yeah, and I you I know think we see we see the return of Goldcott.
1: He's somebody we haven't dealt and Toraziel. we haven't uh, we haven't dealt with them very much, but you know the the show makes it clear what they've been up to,
0: yeah, exactly, and I think that that's one of the things that the show does best actually is is kind of placing these characters in a context, even when they yeah. just appear again.
1: we know that, you know. Uh, uh, Eddington was doing shenanigans, and that Cisco was looking for him. And they just show, elected not to show us, you know, the missions that were fruitless or the reports that were just rumors that didn't lead to anything.
0: Yeah. Now I do find you know the the, the structure of this episode I find really interesting because you know it starts out with Cisco on this this planet where there's refugees from uh, 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 you know the Maquis or, or I guess they're colonists. They're not Maquis. Yeah. But so they say that, that, that Eddington is actually the leader of the Maquis, which, which strikes me as a little bit odd. Uh, I, I don't know if that was established before. No, I didn't think it
1: was. I thought he was just, you know, maybe a high-ranking member. Maybe he has his own cell, you know, something like that. But was he Mr. Maquis? I didn't realize that.
0: Mr. Maquis. <laughs> it's like Mr. Magoo, only, I, I, only I, I, worse. I mean, he had
1: to do his regular Starfleet job. How much could he lead the Maquis, really?
0: Yeah, I guess it is a little strange. That's maybe, just, just what I think in terms of
1: logistics.
0: Well, maybe the Maquis had an election and he got, yes. got elected to the leader of the Maquis. Uh, you know, you, there's a certain degree to which you kind of have to just go yeah. with that. And Assume I,
1: that that's what happened in the past, I think they said, eight months or something like that. So. Yeah.
0: And I mean, the show does definitely, you know, this is this is still a Star Trek show. This is not the kind of series that is saying that Starfleet of the Federation is wrong, necessarily. They are still the good guys, quote unquote. But the show is able to 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 sort of bloody them a little bit or dirty them up a little bit yeah. in a way that still is consistent. Now, I, I, I tend to have issues with the end of the episode, but we will yeah. talk about that. But more to do with the fact that uh, uh, the, the, the sort of tone of it more than anything else, but but we'll get to that. I think that the way the episode starts is really intriguing because, of course, it drops you right in. Cisco is on this planet or this moon or whatever it is around refugees, and he finds Eddington. Eddington obviously has the upper hand here. And Eddington is doing this really interesting thing where he is, you know, there, there's part of Eddington which is very angry at Cisco, I think, for uh, because Cisco is, is sort of a proxy for Starfleet in yes. general of the Federation, obviously. There's also a part of him that is not angry at Cisco and just understands that Cisco is doing his job. But there's also a part of Eddington which. Wants to convince Cisco yeah. of the rightness of his cause, yeah, and that I think is what him saying, "Look at these people, you know, don't well, that, I didn't tell you to look away."
1: That's why Eddington is a really interesting villain because he is doing what he believes is the morally correct thing. I mean, he he is not, you know, just trying to conquer for his own sake, or you know, he's not being a terrorist to you know have wanton destruction. He genuinely believes that the Federation is wrong in this case and that, you know, I mean, it's interesting because in a lot of ways, you know, Eddington really says, you know, we we're done with the Federation. Like, you know, we have no quarrel with the Federation anymore. Like in a way he sees these colonies who he feels they've been abandoned by the Federation and so figures, all right, that can be a mutual decision. You know, we're, we're just going to, take care and we're going to, you know, worry about those. You know, if you want us out of the Federation, we'll be out. And then the Federation is still fucking coming for them is what Eddington's view is. I mean, Eddington generally feels like, you know, look, just let us go. Yeah. He correctly says, you know, is part of the reason that I left the Federation? You know, is it because I left you? You know, the Federation taking it personally, can't understand why someone would want to leave.
0: Well, I think, you know— I don't know if I agree with that. I think that... that well, this more, is
1: certainly Eddington's point of view, I would say.
0: I Well, I think Cisco obviously is making it personal. And I yeah. think that Cisco is making it personal not because he necessarily... I mean, obviously he disagrees with the Maquis, but it's not something that is, I think, high on his list of priorities. I think that there's two things going on. Here. Number one, of course, is that when the Federation and the, the Cardassians signed this treaty back in the seventh season of TNG and sort of traded these colonies back and forth, which... Indirectly created the Maquis. Yeah. There, there is a degree to which the Federation has to use Starfleet to, you know, help the Cardassians out with the Maquis because otherwise, it would make them it would it would sour their relations. Yeah. right? we're talking about sort of galactic politics in that way. I understand that. The other part of that, of course, is that Cisco is doing this because he feels and he says so much. He says as much in the episode to to the captain. Where, you know, uh, I forget the name of the captain, but I don't think he ever appears again. Hmm. But uh, uh, where he says that you were fooled by this guy. And Sis- and he's like, oh, sorry, that was a bad choice of words. But, of course, then Cisco immediately, and to Cisco's credit, and this is one of the reasons I like Cisco, yeah. is he doesn't mince words and he's not hiding from himself. And he's like, no, you're right. I was fooled. This guy was my you know second in second chief of security for 8 months I worked alongside him I invited him to my apartment for dinner Yeah, I you mean, know all you, of this you, kind of stuff and he is taking it personally because he feels like it is a it is a personal affront to his ability to judge character yeah and i mean it Well a, and that scene with with Dax too of course
1: yeah in a way there is almost a you know, now there's kind of two weird blots on Cisco's record. Number one is Eddington. Number two is the incident in. Uh, 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 uh,
0: uh, Rapture.
1: In Rapture, where. I keep wanting to call it Ascent, and I know that's the same. The one in Rapture, where he let the Federation. You know, Bejor was this close to join the Federation, and he torpedoed that yeah. at the end. So, you know, yeah, he is trying to make. The, obviously, nobody in Starfleet seems to. He, he 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 isn't getting in trouble for either thing, but he at least wants to make this one right in a way. So yeah, it is getting
0: personal. Well, I think it's partly he wants to make it right, and of course, partly he wants to be the one to do it. Yeah. You know, if this there's is one his... if there's one thing that we can say about Cisco is that he is stubborn and tenacious. Mm. And it totally makes sense to me that he would not want to give Eddington up to anybody else. No. And of course, you know, at the end of the episode, he does capture Eddington in a very, very unorthodox fashion let's say yeah and i think that that is you know the i I don't know are we ready to talk about that? let's talk about the end of the episode because i think it is important that because i mean i can see uh, i can certainly see kirk or
1: picard coming up with this realization that you know eddington is casting himself in this drama and this is the part i have to play i mean that that's something that we've seen we've seen kirk and picard do those kind of plans before um and we would see either of them go to the part of bluffing to you know bomb the planet but Cisco actually does it
0: yes and, and i sometimes i like that decision and sometimes yeah. i find it to be a little bit too far i think i i there's an interesting criticism of the end of the episode that i read once which basically said that this is not anything that picard ever would have done yeah. which i completely agree with but they did say that this is something Kirk would have done. And I... I well... Maybe and maybe not. I mean, Kirk I mean, certainly always did skirt, skirt the line. But I don't know if he would have gone so far as to poison the atmosphere of an entire planet.
1: Well, I guess what we have to... We have to accept a bunch of things from the end of the episode. Number one, that when Eddington bombed the Cardassian planets in the same way, that you know people were killed and that was bad uh but when cisco did it nobody got killed and everyone got evacuated in time like yes. that that's we need to accept that and we need to accept cuz i think the end of it like brushes past this but we need to accept that this poisoned the atmosphere for only humans, but there will be no side effects for a Cardassian and vice versa on the Cardassian or the planet. Li-
0: on the life of the planet. I mean, yeah, there is native life on the planet as well. Because it
1: said at the end, well, they swapped planets and everybody is okay, which was not, you know, what the monkey wanted in the first right. place. Like, it, you know, it, it's – it's uh, uh, on the one well, hand – because on the one hand, I agree. I think it is much more, you know, next generation and original series – we're able to make situations that you know the 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 moral was we can find a compromise to make everybody happy and d s nine is we 're going up against people who will not accept a compromise right and, you know somebody has
0: to lose in this situation We have two diametrically opposed yeah. worldviews that cannot be reconciled yeah Wh- where do we go from here that That seems to be where this show is going
1: yes and i, I and I think there is. A nice sense of the tragic to that i mean we we definitely we do feel a little bad for um for eddington at the end of the episode and you know there is a sense of lost possibility and you know the federation really did nothing for these you know colonists the they they the, the federation still can't get it through its head that relocate you know they're not actually helping these people by offering them relocation. The Federation thinks they did that and thinks that that's all we needed. When you know they're saying no, that that's a terrible solution, and you've really abandoned us.
0: Yes, but yeah. the
1: Federation just, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to get it. Well, I think that there's,
0: I think that there's a couple of things that really bother me about that decision and and, and kind of the way that it's treated in this episode. Uh, number one, the end of the episode with Cisco and Dax, which you know basically you're hearing like sitcom horns in the background. Yeah, you didn't clear that with Starfleet, did you? Ah, yeah, yeah, you rascal! It's like that's a that's really tone deaf. to
1: Yeah, me.
0: that entire I, I don't like the end of the episode for that reason. I think that it, 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 there. It, well, number one, the the resolution of the episode came too abruptly towards the end for it to have any real sort of. A uh, 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 discussion about what yeah. they did. And, you know, like we intimated, like we started out uh, talking about in, in the beginning of this podcast, you know, Deep Space Nine, while it does have these ongoing storylines, it is still a very self contained show on episode to episode basis. So they're not going to have that conversation. Yeah. And I think that Dax treating it as a very lighthearted moment, kind of like, oh, you know, you did something kind of wacky, but it worked out. Like,
1: yeah Cisco
0: like launched torpedoes that poison the atmosphere of an entire planet, causing it ha- having to be abandoned by its colonists and I want a scene where somebody basically yells at Cisco for doing that, like makes him think about what he did, criticize the decision in some way, and nobody does that
1: you know what what I'm thinking of is the ending of the ship in which five people die, and Cisco and Dax have this you know moral crisis at the end and they're basically like that was you know there was no good decision to make from this everything was just shitty this was a clusterfuck and yeah. you know there was no right decision so we made the best decision and we you know we had and starfleet accepted that but we still feel really fucking shitty about it that is a converse you know that is that a, that the, that, yeah. that I mean and I love one of the reasons I loved that episode which I know you weren't crazy about I loved
0: that episode because it left on such a s- Such a discomforted note. And that's what this episode needs, I think. Even more so get it. You know, that's really what it comes down to to me is Cisco's decision to do that and to make the colonists abandon their home is to to get Eddington, to get one guy. Yeah. Because it's this personal crusade on Cisco's part. I think is a decision that is indefensible. And I don't know that the show agrees with me on that. The other thing, too, of course, is that it's playing right into Eddington's expectations of what Starfleet and the Federation yeah. are capable of, what they care about, what they don't care about. There is a casual disregard for the real, uh, you know, feelings and thoughts of these colonists and of the yeah. Maquis that I find really troubling.
1: Which is the entire, you know, which is yeah. the entire point of the episode of the Maquis. Yeah, I mean, I I thought the episode was going to take it to a point where you have you know, Cisco threatening to bomb, and as he says, you know, I I need to manipulate, you know, Eddington into making a sacrifice for, you know, so you think that he's going, you know, when he's saying, oh, arm the torpedoes, get your, are thinking, okay, Cisco's gonna, you know, he's gonna take him to that point, and I mean, to a degree, Eddington was Starfleet trained and so knows full well that, you know, Eddington is kind of banking on Well, it's it's a Starfleet thing to take to the edge, you know, and bluff and bluff and bluff and, you know, suddenly seeing how crazy Cisco has gone. But at the same time, then I thought that that what was going to be revealed was that, oh, he didn't really poison the planet. He just faked the sensors, you know, because we've done that before, too.
0: And well, that's interesting because I, I do think that, that Deep Space Nine is a show that doesn't necessarily sort of do that kind of thing. I mean, no. it does sometimes, of course, but it is a show that really much follows through with, with you know consequences of action yeah. in a way. I mean, this is a show that was very on the verge of having Bejor join the Federation and was torpedoed at the last minute. There's no yeah. getting out of that, you know, stuff like that. And I think that, you know, the question that I'm left with, you know, especially for someone like you who is new to Star Trek mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, watching this show. I mean, we're kind of in the middle of the fifth season now. The show is... You know not almost done, but you know we're we're getting towards the, the we're we're well past the halfway point at this point, and so I don't know that you're able to answer this question yet. I don't know if you have all of the necessary information, and of course, there are a lot of things to come there are a lot of events yeah. to happen there are a lot of uh, uh, really, really dramatic I- decisions that are going to be made but is this kind of thing? I mean, obviously, this is what people talk about when they talk about Deep Space Nine as a darker Star Trek show. Yeah, and I, I wonder. I, I want to ask you. Like, this do, show, this do, show didn't give. Well, do you think that this kind of decision is uh, consistent with Star Trek?
1: I'm okay for the – You know, I, I'm with you. I'm okay for Cisco to have made that decision and followed through with that but what I'm not okay with is the show unwilling to follow that through. Yeah. Because that that undercuts it, and I, I get the sense this decision is never going to come back again.
0: You know? I don't think it does. It's not like,
1: you know, two episodes later, you know, Cisco is facing, you know, a court-martial, or he's having to explain himself. See, if it would have done that, I would say, all right, this is a darker show. This is a more serious show. It just seemed like they wanted a way, and they, but they didn't want to actually deal with the consequences of that. And so... You know, I say take this episode's plot with the last 10 minutes of the ship and you have a perfect episode.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's a fundamental failing down of of this episode in particular. You know, it, it really does leave me with a question of what is the show trying to say about Cisco? What is the show trying yeah. to say about the Monkey, about the Federation, about Starfleet? And you I know, hate
1: to say it, but it feels like it didn't think it that through enough, you know? They, yeah. they just wanted... I don't know whether or not, you know, Eddington and the Maquis storyline is resolved or not. But I, if you told me Oh, now, it's resolved. I was about to say, if you were to tell me, you know, Eddington is resolved now, you're never going to see him again, I would not be surprised.
0: Uh, I will leave that up as an yeah, exercise say, for the listener.
1: I, I don't know either way. You know, I don't know if the Maquis is still— Again, when you say that he is the leader of the Maquis, you know that that makes it, you know.
0: I mean, the Maquis is still around. That, that's not really a question, but yeah. I think that that you know there are still colonists out there that are on the planets that are going to be fighting the Cardassians. I just, you know, it is, it is. I mean, obviously the show it's, is trying to muddy the waters a bit, and it is, you know, obviously it also comes from a place of. Really making this. I mean, this is a very, very sort of like Moby Dickish, you know, crime. I mean, they even say like Les rob, You know, it's it's kind of on the nose again, but, which
1: is why you know, in both, you know, we we've seen a lot of Moby Dick comparisons. For example, you know, both series, uh, this was kind of the point of first encounter. You know, are dealing with you have an obsession and that's a bad thing.
0: I think what I'm always yeah, but I think what I'm always left with 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 for the uniform is. Is this an episode which is fully formed and is saying everything that they wanted to say, and I just don't like what they're saying, or is it the latter, is, or, or is it, or is another thing which is they're not exactly clear on what they're trying yeah. to say, and I don't know what the answer is, honestly. I, you feel know, like, I, I, I think that the show is at a really interesting crossroads because it is definitely doing darker and darker stuff. It is doing things that do are going to have long term ramifications, and of course, in the next episode, there's a huge ramification coming. Yeah, but you know, what, what is, what am I supposed to get out of this? You know, it is, it, there's no, I mean, I wish there was, there's no ambiguity you, you in know, this episode. Uh, That's kind of what it is. It's like I, Cisco's I, like, I, I have to play the villain, but then he actually follows through and is actually pl- like is actually doing something this, which is unconscionable.
1: This episode says that these colonists are disposable, you know, it. it's sad that this is happening to them. And, you know, boy, you know, but we did what we could. And so, you know, Fuck the Maquis. That's, I think, what the episode is saying about it, and that's something that I don't necessarily feel comfortable with, and I don't think. Yeah. That's, I, it, you know, I will say that message is not Star Trek.
0: Yeah, and I, yeah, I agree with you, and I also think that the other thing that really bothers me about the episode is, you know, there there are scenes in it which do go a long way towards saying that Cisco is very, very angry at Eddington. Yeah. And that he is his judgment is being clouded. I mean, Starfleet takes him off this. And then of course he yeah. doesn't actually uh, uh go out again until the the malinche is, is uh disabled by by Eddington. But nobody really I mean Dax has that that conversation with him in the of Suite where he's punching the bag and she's like, I'm glad you're working out in the bag, you know. And they he has that conversation with the captain of the malinche, but no one ever like sits Cisco down and says What's going on with you? Are you making good decisions here? Are you blinded by anger? Are you, you know, this is very like.
1: This episode needed somebody like the woman in in First Contact who basically says to Picard. Well, I
0: was about to say this episode needed a Guinan. Yeah. Like, you know, that is kind of, I guess that's really the difference between this show and TNG is that there is really no one that is going to. No voice of reason. Yeah, there's no voice of reason. There's no one that's going to talk Cisco down from doing something that is potentially very, very bad.
1: And but, you know, again, I can see a show doing something and especially, you know, the dramas of the late 2000s, you know, early 2010s, you know, we're dealing with we're going to show somebody making morally reprehensible decisions in ways with justify, you know, themselves. But, you know, this show is not ready to do that. And we don't I frankly don't want this show to make Cisco or war criminal. So the way that they deal with Cisco committing a war crime is by laughing it off rather than actually
0: dealing with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you and I think I think that decision I think that decision makes sense in 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 the aims of the show and in mm-hmm. the episode, but I also think that there are no consequences to yeah. it, which is which is the problem for me. This
1: is, you know, and, and this is very much I I think part of the problem is that you know, Eddington was dealt with as a character serially. I assume that when he was introduced, he was intended to be, you know, from the beginning, a mocking. I don't know if
0: he was or not, but yeah. But
1: either way, like it, it, it worked very well. And he was someone that was very much built up serially and he was dealt with episodically.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, yeah. Because that is the the character that kind of dropped in from time to time to be established, and now he's really being taken care of on an episode-by-episode basis.
1: Yeah, and And there's no, you know, all the loose ends are tied. Eddington's going to be court-martialed, and it'll be wonderful in the end. And I guess... And in six months he'll come back, and, you know, he and uh, Cisco will make out, and then they'll live (laughs) together.
0: I mean, I guess that, that, you know, the one way that we can maybe justify the decision is that you know cisco is not going to again well i think he goes too far but i also think that the show doesn't think he goes too far because mm. he's only doing what eddington is doing and you know eddington is making this decision to poison the atmospheres of these cardassian colonies so they have to be evacuated and then the you know federations you know or ex-federation yeah. colonists can go back to them okay fine but That is something that – I think the show is maybe trying to make some sort of like more – you know, Eddington obviously believes that the Federation has problems and is is a little bit morally gray or ambiguous. And I think that the show is trying to show that the Federation and Starfleet are not as squeaky clean as they pretend to be. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm okay with that. But – and yes, Cisco doesn't actively kill anyone. It's not like he's bombing the planet with torpedoes. He's just doing something that's poisoning the atmosphere over a period of time. These people have time yeah. to get off the planet. It, it, it is a decision that is 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 hinky, but it's also. You with, know, it's 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 skirting the lines of what is unjustifiable or unconscionable and the show doesn't cross that yeah. line. And so I guess you can say, yes, OK, it is still Star Trek. And maybe because, that is
1: maybe maybe we needed to have somebody explain why this isn't really a bad thing. And it's OK. You know, you didn't actually hurt these people because I didn't. Buy yeah,
0: because it. we're we're trying to. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I don't think I bought it either. I mean, I think that we are trying to justify it here in this conversation, but I don't know that we're doing a good job of it. And I think that we need the show's help.
1: Yeah, again, they say uh, Eddington uses a biogenic weapon and it's treated as an atrocity, you know. Cisco uses it and it's not the right thing to do, but it was okay. It was a justifiable use of force. Right. And, and that really I mean, is... I, I, I personally, in 2016, have a mindset that, you know, biological weapons are ultimately, <laughs> you know, are unconscionable. So, yeah, yeah.
0: And I think, you know, too, the other thing is that the show— and this episode in particular is is it comes out of almost nowhere too. I mean, you know, I buy Cisco's anger. You know, Avery Brooks is doing a very good job at selling it. But like you said, Eddington hasn't even been mentioned since in the cards. Yes. Yeah. or what, was it in the cards or whatever the episode was? And and so since
1: he escaped, you know, we haven't seen him.
0: Right. So it's kind of like. Where was he all this time? What was he doing? Why was Cisco so yeah, yeah,
1: we talked about, for example, um you know Picard's anger in first contact, and you know while we've gone kind of and we've had some very nice comments talking about that, whether or not his anger was believable, Picard's rage towards the Borg was very built up there was it wasn't you know, at all surprising that he would feel this way. He's dealing with PTSD yeah. symptoms. The Borg are the ultimate threat to the galaxy. You know, they are the big bad of next generation. And so, you know, Eddington maybe should have that role, but it hasn't been it, – it, I I don't quite buy that Cisco is that angry, or at least, you know – it's not like he has these bubbles of anger whenever he thinks of Eddington or whatever his name is mentioned. You know, Eddington just hasn't existed between episodes.
0: Yeah. Because I, I mean, I buy Odo's reaction to this whole chain of events a lot more believable. Frankly, I think that Odo saying his one little piece about captain, have you ever reminded Starfleet? Oh yes. They brought Eddington on board because they did not trust me. And he says, well, no. And he, You know, Odo says, please do, and just walks out. That is a completely understandable reaction. That is a completely Odo reaction. Odo is, I love how cold it is.
1: Yeah, but no, like, Odo 100% is in the right. You didn't trust me for the exact wrong reasons to not trust me. You are being a little racist. Fuck you. Well, yeah. But in the, the very classiest, untouchable way.
0: Right, right. I think that's true. I think that's really true. I mean, I think that, you know, if anything else, uh, Deep Space Nine is going towards the line of saying that, that, you know, there are sort of prejudices and things that are still there. And, and I guess
1: that's why the show's complete dismissal of this colonist, you know, nobody gives a shit about these colonists unless we have a Maquis episode, you know, right. and it's true. I mean, frankly, the, the Maquis are the only people who are on these people's side,
0: it's true. Yeah. And I guess that is part of the, the, you know, if you could say anything else about the episodic structure of the Maquis episodes, I think that is the one thing that works. Because that, of course, you know, underscores, underlines, justifies Eddington and the Maquis' point, which is that the Federation and Starfleet don't care about these colonists.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that this series is going through the theme of, you know, I mean, this was a theme that we, you know, argh, dealt with a little more in the underground post 9-11, but America creating its own terrorists sure. in a way. And, you know, the Maquis is Starfleet creating its own enemies. Sure. And I don't think the show is quite ready to deal with that statement yet.
0: I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah, or yeah. at
1: least the implications of that, which is a shame because, the, you know, that definitely is what the situation was set up as.
0: Yes. Whew, okay, I'm tired now.
1: Uh, (laughs) Can we talk about the hollow I was about to bring that up It's stupid It is stupid Like on the one hand it's like alright I'm okay with actually having the two actors in the room together Fine But I guess what gets to me is at the end they always turn and they touch the button And that looks ridiculous It was Why did they suddenly introduce this now of all times?
0: As I understand it Iris Stephen Bear thought that this episode needed Eddington and Cisco to be in the same room for it to work. I mean again, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, I think that having he he basically said that having Eddington on the view screen would be the dramatic death of the episode. I, I don't think I I don't think I agree with that.
1: I guess cuz I want to say there's a little movie called Wrath of Khan in which the two characters yeah. were only seen on view screens with each other and, you know, that that that's it's it's fantastic. Like they You know, and maybe editing actor can't really quite handle
0: it, but... And frankly, it's a little disorienting because, of course, you know, it's one of those weird things where the writers were saying, look, we have this holographic technology, why don't they use it to communicate with each other? And it's like, that's what you choose to try and justify? I mean, there's so many other things in Star Trek that make absolutely no sense, and that's what you're trying to justify? (laughs) And for a really bad reason, frankly. You know, it's just kind of like, this thing that we've never used before... (laughs) We both happen to have one. I was going
1: to say, yeah, you know, this is a, 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 and they make it seem like it's this cutting edge technology. And both these ships randomly have it. Yeah. Eddington
0: is a lad, like he just steals one from somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. you know whatever i mean it is it's whatever i mean it's fine i don't you i think it's like a, it appears once more and that's it it it's never really used again which is fine i don't think it's necessary but
1: it it's very clunk i guess that's the thing well this is a clunky episode in a lot of ways and it shouldn't be because it's the episode where they fucking finally catch eddington
0: yeah i agree with you i mean i think that there's obviously there's a lot to talk about here there's a lot of 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 meat uh, but the episode itself is a little—it's meat, and
1: it's the kind of meat that's like burned on the outside, but like rare and gooey on the inside, and it just doesn't have enough flavor. And they, but they put like a shitload of garlic and salt on it, so it's like you can eat it, and you know it's filling, and it is still a steak. But you know this guy has cooked you so much better steaks in the past, and that's not why you went to this restaurant.
0: And now I'm a vegetarian. Thank you, Richard. You're
1: welcome. Well,
0: let's talk about in Purgatory shadow.
1: I don't know where this is going to end up, but in terms of an episode, I've loved this one.
0: Yeah, this is a really this good was
1: one. now in terms. Now, now we're going to talk about. Here are stories that were introduced serially. So we have Garrick and Tane, the Dominion, who are finally in active combat. You know, several things, and this episode is treating them serially and not episodically. Yes. Then I think this was if if the if the if the Eddington episode had been written in this kind of a way, I think it would have been a much more effective one. That's so – but – so let's talk about this episode because I don't – again, you know where this is going. You know? I
0: do know where this I is going. I finally
1: now have a – You know, this phrase Dominion War has, I know, appeared in – not in the show but I've seen in other media. So now I get the feeling we're, Thanks, other media. Well, now I get the sense we're going to start hearing the phrase Dominion War. Not quite yet. (laughs) Okay, but...
0: But it's coming. Yeah, they're... I... I, Yeah, I think that while this episode obviously is throwing the gauntlet down to a large degree, this is the show finally coming through with the the implication of the Dominion by the existence of having them on the show. The Dominion have come through the wormhole in force with a bunch of ships what's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, we don't know. I mean the episode cuts at a very dramatic point. <laughs> this is a- it
1: was the it was very much the thing where I'm like, what's gonna happen? And then uh I looked at the time I'm like six minutes,
0: Oh, shit. Well see what what's re- yeah <laughs> well, what's really interesting for me is that it, that end of the that end of impergatory Shadow is I think DS9's best of both worlds part one moment. And what is what's exciting for me and I think maybe what's exciting for you, even though I don't want to put words in your mouth I'm going to <laughs> is we knew the best of both worlds is going to be resolved in one episode.
1: Yeah. This is I, this, starting this, this, something. This is I starting
0: something. Yeah. Like, this like, is not going to be resolved next week.
1: No. I maybe they'll resolve the initial battle that's about to happen, but you know, again, this is the Dominion turning from a cold war to a hot one.
0: Yes. Yeah. And and really what it comes down to is I think, you know. It it is going to be a shift in the show's status quo yeah. to a large degree, you know, and you're already starting to see that. I mean, well, plus your your point about this this episode really treating everything serially, I think, is very interesting because let's not forget how the episode starts out. It starts out with this very nice scene between Kira and Odo in Odo's quarters where he is putting yeah. back all his changeling stuff. And, and they're, they're having they're having a conversation about what happened to him at the end of The Begotten. You know, who's, Kira's saying, I'm, I guess you're looking forward to this. You know, there's no reason you still can't sleep in a bed. You know, Odo's like, nah, bed's got to go. I'm a changeling, yeah. I'm not a solid. Like, you know, Kira's like, While well, you're solid 18 hours a day. You know, all this kind of stuff. It's very, very well done.
1: Yeah, they're talking, you know, Kira is finally... Kira still doesn't think of herself as a target for Odo's romantic feelings, but she's at a point where she, basically, she does say, like, you know, you can meet somebody. You know, you if you want to explore that those feelings, that's okay. You could do it. You're still part solid, you know. Yeah. And, you know, which shows a definite development. This is definitely coming off of the begotten where they ha- – you know, their relationship has suffered for so long and finally they've just – clean slated it, and this is them actually getting back to being friends again.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's nice to see. And it is something that obviously would make absolutely – well, not that it wouldn't make sense, but it is colored by everything else that the show has done with these characters in the past. It's a really, really nice scene. And I think it also does set up – you know, in, a, in an interesting way, a little bit of subtext about what exactly the the true nature of the Dominion is. Because now that Odo is having these discussions about what it means to be a, a changeling, you know, he's not going to pretend to be what he's not anymore. And then at the end of the episode, it's revealed that the the Dominion and the Hadar are hiding in this nebula and they're coming through the wormhole yeah. in force. It almost feels like a release valve. It almost feels like, okay, this is what the show has been building up to for three yeah. and a half se- or two and a half seasons. You know, and and what is this really what it's like now? You know, is this actually going to be the case? And there's, I mean, obviously, everyone on the on the station is very, very alarmed by this development yeah. and freaked out and, and scared. But I think to a certain degree, the waiting period is over.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've we've been seeing them, you know, doing battle inch battle drills all the time. You know, there there's a segment in Alexander Solzhenitsyn's book about the Gulag Archipelago that talks about when people finally get arrested Here by, he goes again, people. When people finally get arrested by the secret police, rather than terror, they feel a form of relief. Yeah. Because, you know, all the time you're wondering, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? What am I going to do? What's it going to be? You know, where is it going to come from? How's it going to happen? And, you know, now you finally know, and it's not a terrifying mystery anymore.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's right. And, well, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this yeah. episode, but— uh, The elephant in the room, of course, is that Bashir was a changeling.
1: Yeah. And so, so here's my question. When? Because he mentions a burn conference that he went to. Well,
0: so he's wearing the old uniform. So that's okay. a clue. So the uniforms were changed, I believe, in Rapture. So it okay. had to be pre-rapture.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I was looking through the past few episodes to see what has Bashir been doing.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting because I think the show is implying that he's only been a changeling for a couple of weeks or maybe a yeah. month at most. But uh, it's been a while since the, the, the new uniforms have come mm. into play. I mean, it's been like four episodes or something. So – it's longer than that. I think that it's one of those things that the show wanted to do in a way to show that not a, no one is safe, obviously. Yeah. You know, the, the Changelings are able to infiltrate DS9 in a way. Uh, why is it Bashir? Well, I don't know. Why Why not, right? Um, in a way, you but know, it know, to also, be fair,
1: you know, Cisco's going to have more scrutiny on him than Bashir
0: would, but... But it also does raise some questions about, you know, did Bashir really deliver Care's baby? Did Bashir really, uh, you know, perform brain surgery on Cisco and Rapture? Like, there's mm. questions like that, which are kind of like, well, I'd best not think about them. It is the show still being a little sloppy, I think. Yeah,
1: it, it, again, uh, uh, a, a contemporary version of that show would have slotted it in a timeline and maybe even had Bashir acting weird in a way that was never resolved you know well
0: interestingly enough uh uh uh, Alexander Siddick did not find out about this until they were filming um the the last episode okay uh for the uniform so he didn't even know for like the the two or three episodes preceding this that he was supposed to be a changeling and of course now that he knows obviously he's able to play it up a little bit yeah but, you know, I, I guess my question for you is, does this work for you? Like, is, does this make sense? Or is this just, you know, because my, my, well, I don't want to put words Well, now, I so. couldn't,
1: I, again, I couldn't slot it into a timeline. And part of that was, you know, my, you know, question. But, you know, it didn't, it, I mean, a changeling needed to be somewhere. Again, maybe I would have liked a version of the show that, You know, knew that this was coming and did a little more deliberate view of that, you know, told Alexander Siddig, you know, here's what's happening, you know, and, you know, what's going on with Bashir lately? He's been odd, you know. Well, I don't know. It must be the space, you know, he's space happy or whatever. But, um.
0: Nice callback.
1: Thank you. I feel like they don't have space happiness anymore.
0: They they don't. No one's happy on Deep Space.
1: (laughs) Um. That said, um, I mean the 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 Dominion has needed a presence on DS Nine, and certainly uh, he manages to do what his job is in this episode.
0: Um, I mean, it does lend more credence to the fan theory that the the infant changeling and the begotten was a way for the uh, uh, for the founders to to give Odo back his powers, right? Because of course Bashir, if Bashir was a changeling, then he let a changeling die. Which is not really something that the founders do. So, so there is an implication there that that was more of a plan Mm. uh, uh, that was in place by them than than perhaps we had thought it was. Mm.
1: Well, I mean, there's a difference between letting a changeling die and killing a changeling. I mean, they do they, but they do imply that all of these containers were just kind of left out and they were. You know, maybe the changelings treated the infant changeling as we do, you know sperm, we don't consider it you know i i don't
0: I, know. I, the way, I don't think that that really gels with the way that we've seen how founders act towards other changelings of I think that they would you know if if this was not a deliberate ploy on the Bashir changelings' part, I think that he would have probably gone a little insane hmm. like if they were not expecting this to happen, I think that they would have that that changeling would have been a little crazy frankly yeah so i think that it does lend more credence to that theory that this was something that they wanted to happen okay. which which gives it another color of course because you know what is bashir really there to do and of course it seems like they already knew that they were going to try and close the wormhole well you know so, or
1: or even if they didn't quite know that you know you need to be on ds9 if they do any, you know if they do anything to hinder our plans and that happens to be the big Thing that's going to hinder their plans. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, or certainly we're about to go to war. Make sure that, you know, they don't do anything stupid.
0: True. Yeah. I would
1: assume if he had orders, they would be more along those lines, but.
0: So I guess, well, let's talk about the internment camp stuff because I think that yeah. this is really part of the meat of the episode is that, okay, we have the return of an Auburn We have a relationship. Well, you know, Zial and Goldicott are on Deep Space Nine, but Garrick is sort of involved in that and Garrick has been captured. Uh, you know, we have Worf there. We have General Martok, who. Yeah, it was nice to see. Is now the real Martok, of course. So I don't think we've ever actually seen the real Martok before. I was
1: going to say, it was for for a moment, like, when they were all weird. You know, Worf sees them and it's weird, but he was like, no, let's work together. We'll figure this. I'm like, oh, right. You know, Martok isn't the evil guy. Like, he is going to work with the other Klingon to get out.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah. And so. It, it It is. It's so interesting. Because I mean,
1: well, that one of the questions, you know, that because I'd mentioned, you know, when they replace someone, you know, do they kill them? What happens? And, you know, you said kind of a wait and see. So, you know, we're seeing certainly two people and it's possible that, you know, that one admiral is in this internment camp somewhere or in another one. Um, anybody we've seen who's been replaced so far.
0: Yeah, somewhere. It, well, yeah, and it also implies that the Changeling was lying to Garrick in that episode where I think it was what was it, uh uh To the Death where Garrick was trying to talk to the Vorta or the Changeling about Oh um, yes, the people that were the 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 Cardassians that, that had tried to attack their homeworld and she said they're dead. Yeah. They're all dead. You know, like they're obviously not all dead. She's lying. Like they're there. But you
1: know, Garrick kind of knows that
0: because I, yeah. I mean, he does go off on this mission, you know,
1: the way he lies about, oh, they're all dead, you know, implies he thinks they're not, you know. Or yeah,
0: and now he, he has confirmation of that. So, I, what, one of the things that I really like about this episode is that all of the events of the episode come organically from this decision on Garrick's part and this relationship that he has with the Nauberntine. We have not seen a Nauberntine in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. He's back. Of course, he's dead now. Again,
1: <laughs> I like that because but, they, you know, we never saw the body. If they never got back to an it would have been okay. But they still left that door open for, you know, another appearance. And
0: but all of it, really, you know, the, what I like about it is that the Dominion has been painted as as very, very careful, as very deliberately planning everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they have agents everywhere. They say. I mean, we know that they have. Bashir as a changeling so they're able to get to pretty much anyone they want to get to and replace. But they are also vulnerable because Anobrintane is able to get this message out yeah. to Garrick. Garrick is able to get it. And uh it is something that is really relying on Garrick's sort of affection or or weird relationship with Anobrantain. That that I don't know the Dominion would have been able to really appreciate. Well, I mean, because-
1: I, well, to a degree, I would say that you know the Dominion obviously they're obviously you know I I don't know the status of Martok maybe even not Garrick but you know Bashir's gonna get out you know they're 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 gonna Worf's gonna get out so I know this much but from the Dominion's point of view either Garrick's gonna ignore this transmission um or it's not gonna get to him or whatever or you know. They have an agent on there who realizes in about five minutes what Garrick is doing. You know, he lets them know, and they they're prepared, and they attack. They capture them. So, you know, for, I guess from the Dominion's point of view, this comes off not
0: as a vulnerability, well. but they come off as totally strong. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that, that, you know, they don't know where Worf and Garrick are. And, and they only capture them because they blunder into the nebula where they're mm. hiding all their ships. I mean, let's not forget yeah. that. I I think the implication oh, is that yeah. they didn't know that this message got out there. I mean, you know, they certainly capture them and it's it's a great victory for them and whatever. And they're going to be fighting each other. And, you know, they're really excited to have another Klingon at this internment camp. Yeah. It's all going to be like wrestling with the Jem'Hadar. Ooh. But... <laughs> But it is, you know, they're going to get out. Obviously, yes. we, we know that they're going to get out. They're not going to kill Bashir, Warf, or, or Garrick, you know. And and I'm again, not... Mar- Martok
1: is the wild card. But right, yeah, we'll we'll find
0: out what happens to, to him. But
1: I'd like them for not because they killed Tain, you know, and just like, all right, let's let's give him a, you know, we'll have another player, you know, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But
0: but I think that what what it really comes down to is that I don't know that the founders or the Jem'Hadar or the Vorta understand exactly, you know, what the the um, the, the kind of ties that bind these uh, yeah. those people together are because well, they, of course, they,
1: un- they understand fear they don't understand love. I mean that's a tip but
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well because of course, you know, the other elephant in the room we have to talk about is this kind of revelation that an is Garrick's father, which Yeah. I don't know if that's that surprising but No,
1: but it's you know, it, it it's 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 been implied, it's been danced around. They have certainly a very close relationship. I like very much that um because it's not even so much a, it's not so much that Garrick is his father, but you know he's an Aubertaine's son. He's an Aubertaine's bastard son. Yeah, and it's really interesting because that puts another layer of his relationship to Toraziel. Not only are they both exiled, but they both are bastard children who were abandoned by their father for a while. Like they, they, they understand. Garrick understands where Toriel is coming from to a much deeper degree than anyone realizes yeah. until that revelation.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's also interesting. I mean, I agree with you, and I do want to talk about uh, Zial and, and Goldukat, but yeah. the other the other piece of that, of course, is that Garrick has this. You know, Garrick is is obviously a character that it likes to lie, and he's a character that is very ambiguous. We we don't ever really get a good sense of what his backstory is. It kind of changes, you know, via the circumstances of 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 what he needs out of the situation. Uh, I mean, I think a perfect example is when he's just basically playing with Wharf about wanting to go to Starfleet yeah. Academy.
1: But I mean, and I, at the end, he says like, "Look, lying's like any other skill. You know, I've got to practice it." But
0: but this is the one instance that last scene between you know, uh, uh, an yeah. and Garrick where, you know, even in that moment he can't help lying because, you know, an asks Garrick if they're alone and Garrick says, oh yeah, we're alone and they're not alone.
1: And then, you know, then he's saying like, and, and I mean, a lot of it is, you know, comforting someone who's dying, you know, he says, oh, our men, oh yes, we killed him, you know, he's dead, you know, all your enemies have died, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, but I mean, I, I like that the. I mean, these are two people who have lied their entire lives. You know, Fa, son takes after father very much, and at the end, you know, he's begging, him, like, "Look, admit I'm your son." Like, you know, yeah, we, you know, I know you're lying. I lie all the time, but this is not a time for lies.
0: And Aenar doesn't outright say it, though. Yeah, I mean, he implies it. Uh, he he sort of obliquely, yeah, like that. I should have killed your mother. That, but, yeah. But he doesn't actually say, yeah, you're right. I'm your father. Like, you know, and even to that degree, it's like the shifting sands of what is true and what is not true and what stories are true and what lies are true. You know, like they they I mean,
1: is let me ask this question. Is Garrick psych, you know, sociopathic enough that he's going to in, you know, manipulate a conversation so that he. Has Worf and, you know, Martok thinking that Anabrentain was his father? I mean, could Garrick have been lying?
0: I don't think so. I, I don't either. I, I don't think that this—I mean, I think it's a good question. I'm glad you're playing devil's advocate. But, uh, no, I don't think it is. And I think that that is the real the real tragedy of yeah. it, which is that— Well, I mean, part of it is that Andrew Robinson is a fantastic actor, and yeah. you can really tell when he is playing— the Garrick that is sort of playing with people and lying to them. And when Garrick is being truthful and real yeah. and in that scene, he is playing Garrick as someone who is just tired of this and he wants the truth. And, you know, he's in a situation where honestly he has nothing to lose at this yeah. point. I mean, you know, so is an Auburn Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, an Auburn is dying. And, and so it, it, but it's interesting to me that, that, the the layers of uh, you know falsehoods and the layers of obfuscation are are so deep and they are so used to it it is such an ingrained pattern for them that enobarntaine even on his deathbed cannot just outright say that Garrick is his son
1: well i i i i guess what do we have left to talk about i mean i like torziel i can't say that she's a You know, even though she had probably the most scenes in this episode than she has in a while, I can't say she's a huge.
0: Well, this is also the third actress to play her.
1: Oh, okay. It wasn't just me. Um, It wasn't just you. (laughs) Oh, my God. She's being replaced by a changeling who's not very good at it.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, we—you've we, already intimated that they—they've, you know, Garrick and Torresi all yeah. connected over their their, you know you, la- know, you know their 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 fathers that were missing and things like that. She is uh, insisting that her rela- her feelings are
1: more romantic. Garrick is all, no, you know, your dad doesn't like me, but you know, I I, I mean, to a degree, that only I, I I only have so much patience for the you know daddy drama between that, but you know.
0: Uh, well, it does. It does. I mean, I think that it's doing the Gal cotton's and all scenes. I think are more interesting yeah. to talk about. I think that, you especially
1: know, when, when he Stone Cold shuts her down. Fine,
0: be doomed, or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, more evidence for my thing: that <laughs> cotton's is a sociopath and doesn't care about anybody and only uses them for his own ends. Uh, because, of course, you know, let's not forget that scene between Gold Dukat and Kira. And they have come, yeah. you know, in the past couple of appearances of Gold Dukat with Kira, they have come to some sort of understanding yeah. with each other. And that is the show, I think, sort of repivoting that and going back to an older version of that relationship where they are not friendly. Yeah. And,
1: and yet they, you know, in a way they have the same, they, they're both focusing on the same person. Like they have the same arena. Um you know, Kira is the one who genuinely is looking out for Torresiel's best interests. Sure. Uh, you know, Gal just wants to possess his daughter in a way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you know, I love that. You know, there was a time when you know Bajorans were afraid of Cardassians, and you know, Kira is just whatever. You know. Yeah. It's a.
0: I mean, I'm but right, uh, you know
1: that that's just a. I mean that that line is the dumbest thing Golducat has ever said because it only it only serves to highlight how weak his position
0: is. Yeah, because what can he do? He's not even speaking
1: for Cardassia anymore. He is just
0: Golducat. He's a pirate. Yeah, he's flying around in a stolen Klingon bird of prey, and 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 you know, wait. I mean, as Kira says, waging a private little war against the Klingons, pretending
1: he is a important vigil, a hero, and he's you know. It's not even like he's organized and gotten a Maquis behind him. You know, he's just Goldoo Cod and he can't. He's Goldu be- Batman. Yeah. And even his daughter is starting to realize, like, you're, you're just trying to make me do whatever you want.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, obviously it, it does have resonances with the In Auburn team stuff, yeah. which I think it's why it's in the episode. Of course. You know, but.
1: I mean, I do like how self-possessed, uh. Torziel is. Like she know, you know, she has made up her mind that she feels this way about Garrick, and she's just matter-of-factly saying it. You know, she's made up her mind that she's not gonna go to Cardassia with her father and she's not gonna be swayed. You know, she is an extremely stubborn person in some ways, you know. She is her father's daughter, but uh you know, yeah, I I think she's a character, I mean, certain that is diff- other people have difficulties taking her seriously, but it's really Kira's the only you know, the other person who's seen like, No, she's allowed to make her own decisions.
0: Well and frankly I think that for, for someone who spent, yeah. you know, the first fifteen or sixteen or whatever years of her life, mm. you know, in a in a marine uh, a labor <laughs> camp and is like okay, you know. Obviously, part of that is just the show doesn't want to really deal with the sort of psychological no, trauma of that, but part of it but is, I mean, that she like, is supposed to be a strong person.
1: I, I, yeah, I am of the opinion that, like, you know, that that be, being raised in a prison camp and getting out means that, you know, you're allowed to make a lot more of your own decisions. You know, you're you have a bit of authority here.
0: And I think, if anything else, you know, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that, you know, Gold Ducat, again, I don't think really cares about Torrezial. I think he wants to use her for her, his, his own. Ends And he gets so angry when she won't come to Cardassia, not because he wants to protect her from from perhaps a Dominion attack, but more because, you know, he is losing face amongst his own, you know, like his family, his daughter doesn't want to go back with him. And that that is untenable to him.
1: I think, you know, that's part of it. And I think it is to a degree. He loves towards when she's being the good Cardassian daughter who honors her father, you know, when she's actually being a person with her own ideas. And, you know, you know, habits and, you know, people that she wants to have relationships with, well, then she's a problem, you know, if...
0: And not only that, but she is choosing to spend her time with, with Garrick. Yeah. who, you know, Gold Dukat and Garrick obviously do not like each other.
1: If Torziel went back to Cardassia and, you know, found a Cardassian man that her father approved of and introduced her and had a nice, card- huge Cardassian family, she would be the apple of her father's eye. And you know it.
0: But well, I, she's I, not
1: that person.
0: I also want. I mean, her point is well taken, though. You know, she does not really have a place on Cardassian. Yeah. You know, she is obviously half Bajoran. She she doesn't look well. That's uh, th- as much like a Cardassian as a, as a full blood yeah. Cardassian does. G- against that's uh, going to be Garrick, a it's
1: very ob. It's particularly obvious. Um, but I, and I guess that maybe part of the point is that Golducott is not really living in reality. You know, he no, has not at all. He has his idea of how the world is going to work and he's going to do his thing, but it's not really going to work out that well for him. And, you know, when there's other people around who are doing their own things, it gets very messy and you just really can't handle that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that.
1: He does imply to her that there are a lot of things going on on Cardassia that we haven't been privy to, though, which we've kind of known, but, you know... Yeah, we haven't seen Cardassia Prime in a while, but... But she says at one point, you know, I'm not, don't have, when she says, I don't have a place in Cardassia, he basically says, like, look, things are changing, I don't have the time to go into it right now, but, you know, that said, that's putting up a gun on the shelf.
0: Sure, yeah, I guess we'll find out what's going on with that. Will we? Maybe not. Maybe we won't. I'm really starting to get tired of Worf and Dax, by the way. Thank
1: God. Okay, because like... The, now no, you
0: understand why now so Now like, I'm like...
1: No, because their first couple of appearances were okay, but now they're all just like, we have feelings! We have drama! Why? why are they together anymore?
0: Exactly. There are two people that have a lot of sexual chemistry and like to fuck, and that's what it comes down to. And the show... And they're know, just th- trying to make this like real relationship work. I mean, we've all done that, but sure but we don't need to do it we don't need to see it on a television show why is it interesting yeah i don't
1: yeah i'm over it they get on my nerves do they break up at least tell
0: me that oh god i can't tell you that oh no i can't i mean oh no
1: they get married and have
0: maybe they bring on babies. maybe they do break up they have krill ew i don't want that that's what's happening
1: all right, and then well, Keiko gets to deliver Worf's baby because Klingon men get pregnant. Uh, that is not true. Well, it's in my fanfic, which, you know, patrons can read if they're a subscriber at the $50 level. Oh, my God. We could totally do that. All right, fanfic.
0: Yeah, let's never do that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've run this one into the ground. but uh,
1: I'm really excited to see next week. I yelled at my
0: TV. Ha, 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 ha rubbing my hands maniacally. All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either one of the episodes of DS9, we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. Check out our Patreon. If you would like to give us some monetary support for our podcasts, patreon.com slash trackaboutshow, where if you give us $5 a month or more, you can also get access to a special monthly episode of track about that we do for you. And uh, since this is the end of July, we are going to be releasing one in about a week. And uh, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do it on a video game oh this time. Oh, my God! Is it Tomb Raider? Uh, yeah, it's Tomb Raider. Okay. How did you know? Uh,
1: because we discussed this before we recorded the podcast. Come on, Eric. Pay attention.
0: So there were a couple of very, very highly acclaimed adventure games from, I believe, the early 90s about Star Trek, the original series, uh, that uh, were unavailable for a really long time and are now available, I believe, on goodoldgames.com, GOG.com. Yep. Uh, And so we're going to uh, play and discuss Star Trek 25th anniversary, which is the first one of them. Yay. So if you would like to hear that, all you need to do is give us $5 a month or more at patreon.com slash show. And And you get to hear that in a a week. Basically, if you've ever
1: wondered what the old video game podcast Eric and I used to do was like, this is going to be a nice taste
0: of that. The what? Exactly. (sighs) Social media. We're on it. show Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And as always please go to iTunes and leave us a positive iTunes review. And don't forget, we have another podcast, tuninginshow.com. Episode two is being released this week on the Firefly episode, The Train Job. Mm. So go look forward to that. All right, next week, we are going to be talking about the episodes By Inferno's Light and Dr. Bashir, I presume. Oh, man. We'll talk to you then.